All right, so we've got a ton to do. I've got a ton to do. What I want to do is I want to pray, and then I'm going to read some scripture to kind of get us headed in the right path, and then we're going to look at some some things that are part of the mission. Now, here, let me let me say something before we pray. If this is if this is your first week here, um, this is a bit of an unusual week. Um, last week, this week, next week are a bit unusual. And they're not the most typical kind of service as far as my sermon goes, um, because what I'm doing last week, this week, and next week is preaching on the mission of Remedy Church. So for these next three weeks, all, all I'm doing is just talking about this is who God has called us to be as a church, and this is what we want to do in the city, this is what we want to do in our church, this is how we want to glorify God and worship, and just kind of casting that vision out in front of us all. For you that are here for the very first time, letting you know what that looks like. And for those of you like me, if you've been here from you know day one, then we need to be reminded of it so that we just don't kind of fall over into maintenance mode, fall back over into, you know, come every Sunday, do my deal, go back home, do whatever I want. So just so we can all kind of, you know, be reoriented to what God's calling us towards. So that's that's what's going on this week. We're glad you're here. If you're here for the first time, we, we really want you to keep coming back. Normally, all I do is kind of just preach through books of the Bible. We're currently in the book of First John, and I'm going to be going back to it in two weeks, back to First John and chapter four, and then well, almost chapter four, and then we'll be finishing that, and then we'll go into the next thing. I'm actually going to talk about that today in the sermon about how um, and why we preach through books of the Bible, etc. So let me pray, and then we'll we'll get going. Lord, thank you so much for your kindness to us in Christ. Thank you so much for um, the gift that you've given me to be able to stand here and teach your word, um, cast vision, talk about the church, talk about remedy. Um, but more so, more than anything, talk about Jesus and how great and glorious he is. Um, Lord, I just, um, I know that unless your Holy Spirit comes now, and speaks through me that I'm just talking and we're just here and we're just listening to words, but they have no power. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help me this morning be Holy Spirit filled to to talk about Jesus. And I pray for everyone here, Lord, that you would um, prepare their hearts to hear the word, prepare their hearts to hear the gospel and prepare all of our hearts to want to be on mission for you. We love you, God, and we pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. All right, so since this isn't a typical week, I'm going to kind of just be all over the Bible here. I don't have one certain text that I'm going to be in. I'm going to kind of be all over. But there's one text I do want to kind of start with, set the tone for what I'm talking about, and then we'll, we'll be all over the place. Um, but let's start in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And I want you to hear the calling of Matthew. I want you to hear the calling of Matthew. We're just going to read it really fast. And this calling of Matthew is, is very, very interesting as we're talking about um, one of the things today, this is Matthew chapter nine, verse nine. Now, Matthew was a tax collector, a Gentile, nothing really like Jesus in um, comparison to, you know, Jesus was Jewish. He was he was a Jew, Gentile. He was a tax collector. Matthew was very much hated by all of society because Matthew and all tax collectors pretty much just ripped off the people in order to fund the kingdom to keep making them be oppressed and took a lot off the top. And so Everybody hated tax collectors. Let's just notice this, because um, what I want you to hear is this, okay? There's, there's some key things we're going to talk about when we're talking about missional living today that I want you to see. And a lot of people think, if I go in ministry, that means that, you know, i got to quit everything, i got to move overseas, i got to get rid of all my stuff. And I just want you to see here, even in this beginning text, that being called into ministry might not be, ch- be changing anything in your life, besides now you're telling people about Jesus, all right? Look at this. Verse 9. 
As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. So Jesus, the best evangelist ever, just looks at him and says, follow me. And he got up, tax collector, leave all this behind, and it followed him. And so we automatically think, if we just stopped at verse 9, we'd think, well, then Matthew sold everything, left it all behind, and followed Jesus the rest of the day. Notice verse 10 where they are. And as Jesus reclined, and it just says at table, and I don't know why, as Jesus reclined at table in the house. So he's in Matthew's house. Look, behold, many tax tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So for Matthew, being called to follow him means, all right, I'm not going to sell my house. I'm going to stay right where I am, and all my big tax collector buddies are going to come over to my house, and I'm going to invite Jesus over too, and he's just going to have a neat conversation with them. So I just kind of want to erase your mind that following Jesus means I've got to sell it all and get rid of everything. It may mean that. It may mean that. But it may mean you just stay right where you are and just live more intentional. Just live more intentional. You just need to rearrange your schedule a little bit and start having lost people invited into your life. Look what it says here. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, now the Pharisees were the religious people, um, and they just didn't like the fact that all these sinners and all these tax collectors and all these real, you know, evil people, like no one, we're all evil, you know, we're all sinners, and there's only one person that's good, and his name's Jesus, and he's just saved us. Um, And he says, these Pharisees didn't like it, and they said, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? As if they're all not sinners. Verse 12, this this is a good text... 12 and 13, to remember in our heads, all right? When he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Do you hear that? Do you know what he's meaning? If you think you don't have a major sin problem and you you need a savior, you think you're well and you're never going to think, I need a physician. You're never going to think, I need a savior. But those who are sick know they need a physician, know they need a savior. And then he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous. I came not to call those who think they're well. I came not to call the people that think everything's okay, but sinners. And if you would just look around, and if I would just look around, if we would all just look around, there are people sitting around us all over the place, hurting, that are sick. They need the great physician Jesus to come and be their savior. They know it. There are going to be people who are the righteous, who are the Pharisees, who think that they have it all together, and they don't, and they need a savior as well. So what our goal is, is to think like this. He's calling me to follow him. I'm going to put myself um, in the lives of people that I know are sick. I'm going to be more intentional, rearrange my schedule, and be in their lives. I'm going to we can't just we don't have the luxury of saying, hey, Jesus, you know, could you come over at six? We're going to have some dinner and, you know, just have a talk with my friends. We don't have that. We don't have that luxury. All right. But we do have the power of the Holy Spirit residing in us. We have God himself living in us so we can still have conversations with him, not at six, because we need Jesus to show up but at any time because we have God himself in us. All right. So I just want to kind of open up with that and get us in the right mind frame as we're going now. This is what we did last week. We talked about the mission of Remedy Church. And as we talked about the mission of Remedy Church, this is the statement that we crafted. Um, if you didn't get one on the way in, you should have gotten uh, one of the new bulletins. They look like this. And on the back, 
Um, it actually has the mission of Remedy Church, and it has the five core values that cause that. If you didn't get one, all you need to do is kind of raise your hand right now. Kevin will bring you one, um, and it won't be a problem. But this, this is a place to take notes, and this has the mission of Remedy Church um, exists. This is why we exist. Remedy Church exists to glorify God by calling all peoples into fellowship with Him and with one another through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is our new mission statement. We had an old one, and the old one wasn't wrong. We just wanted to rewrite it to make it more memorable, to get us a little bit better understanding of what, what's going on. Every church should have three things that they do. I talked about this last week, so I'll kind of review. I'm going to say it really fast. Every church, every church should have a ministry to God, as in we worship God, we, we focus on Him, and we love on Him. And then there's also a ministry to believers, in which we... Um, care for those who are hurting inside of our church that are believers, disciple them as well and help them grow up into Christ. And there's also a ministry to the lost or ministry to unbelievers or ministry to those outside the church, however you want to say it. And that's those people who are outside who are hurting and sick. We care for them. We meet their needs. And while we're meeting their physical needs, we meet their greatest need, which is their spiritual need for Christ. All, every church will have those three things and every mission statement that's biblical will have um, somehow a statement of those three things. And so ours isn't like the best mission statement in the world. I think it's awesome, but I'm not saying it's like we've, we've found it here. We've cornered the market on mission statements. Everybody's going to be calling us and asking us to copyright ours. It's not, that's, I mean, this is just how we've crafted it. I think that we can memorize it well, and I think that it can be memorable for all of us to, to, remember, to, to remember that we're wanting to do those three things. Remedy Church to exist, to glorify God. That's the ministry to God. By calling all peoples into fellowship with Him. That's the ministry to other people and with one another through Jesus Christ. And that's ministering to our people here in the church um, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can see God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. We even have the Trinity worked in there. We, we, we spent the whole summer basically working on it. Um, and I'm really pleased with it. Now, also on here you'll see the five core values. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today. Actually, I'm just going to be talking about numbers one and two. Um, so don't, don't freak out and think I'm doing all five. All right. The five core values are this, all right? You can see them there. Sufficiency of Scripture, equipped for ministry, missional living, service, worship, community. The way we're going to accomplish at Remedy Church this mission statement, the way we're going to glorify God by calling all peoples into fellowship with Him and one another by Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the way we're going to make that happen is by concentrating on these five core values. If we do that, we should bring that, that mission statement about. So what I'm going to do today is just kind of unpack the first two core values to and let you see what we're talking about when we're, when, when we're um, talking about sufficiency of Scripture and equipped for ministry or missional living um, and why those things. Now, you'll notice, and I said this last week, Jesus isn't one of our core values listed, but that doesn't mean he's not. The reason why is because I didn't want to put Jesus as number one core value, Scripture as second, uh, worship as third, as if Jesus is kind of equivalent with those. Jesus is over all the core values. I mean, he, he is the reason why we're here. So if you want to, you could do this. Sufficiency of Scripture because of Jesus. Equipped for ministry and missional living because of Jesus. You could just put the because of Jesus on it because he's the reason why we're here. He's over all five core values. He's not like just one out of five. All right. So that's what we're doing today. And we're going to be looking at the, the next two. All right. So let's let's think about talk about sufficiency of Scripture. And there's a couple texts that we're going to be looking at. Um, the two of the two texts that we're going to be looking at. First one is Second Timothy three sixteen. 2 Timothy 3.16 and actually 17 and Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12. Um, I don't think they're going to be up there. But um, let me explain. Let me read these two texts to you. And after that, 
we'll kind of talk about it a little bit and what are some of the words and what sufficiency of Scripture means and, and really just Scripture. Um, it says this. 2 Timothy 3.16 The Word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So they were talking about the Word. Let's listen to this again. It says, The Word... It's living and active. This book is living. It's active. And what does this book do? What is the power behind this, this book? It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And you, you know this because whenever you read it sometimes and you've got sin in your life and you read this book, all of a sudden all the sin in your life kind of comes up to the surface as you read this book. It's because there's life in this book. And as you're reading it, you're like, oh my goodness, it's pointing out all my sin. It's speaking right to me. It's because this book is the Word of God, written by God through men. Written by God through men. We're going to see that here in Second Second Timothy three sixteen. This is what Second Timothy three sixteen says. Um, let me turn over to it. It says, "All Scripture is breathed out by God." Um, this literally is breathed out. Is Theo Neustos. Theo is God. Neustos is breathed. So all Scripture is God breathed. All Scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable. All right. So here's what Scripture is good for. Um, this is what Scripture does as we read it and as we talk about it and as we go through it. This is what it does. It's profitable for teaching. All right, so we all need to be taught. It's profitable for reproof. We all need reproof sometimes for correction, for training in righteousness, making us holy. So that or that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And it's not just talking about men. Of course, it's, it's women. This is a universal man. So that the man or... Everyone who is a Christian will be competent, equipped for every good work. So whenever we're here at Remedy and we're talking about the Bible, you hear us say things like inerrancy and infallibility um, and sufficiency, inerrancy. There is no error, infallibility. It doesn't ever lead us astray in matters of, fa- of faith. Um, and, and sufficiency is that Scripture itself is sufficient. It's, it's all you need in order to cause you to love Christ more, walk in His fullness, kill sin in your life, um, have life change. It's what you need. You don't need, honestly, (laughs) um, you don't need my opinion. You need me to teach you the Scriptures. You need whoever stands up here to teach you what this says. If you just get a lot of my opinion and, and, and very little of this, well, your life may change, but it may not change for the best and it won't change in the best way. Scripture is what we believe in. And so what we've done here um, is we've kind of set up a system where what we want to do is just teach through books of the Bible. Because of this core belief that we believe is the, that the Bible is what changes people's lives, then what we want to do is just teach through books of the Bible. So when we started the church, um, whenever we started, I thought, okay, we're starting a church. One of the most important things is that we have, and I'm just going to kind of brag on the Bible right now about how awesome it is. Um, Whenever we started the church, I thought, all right, we're starting the church. We need to make sure we have a good understanding of what the gospel is. We need to know what that means. It's not just something that gets people saved. It's not just something that makes them feel like they need to fill out a card or pray a prayer. But the gospel itself is where we bank our entire life. It's not just what declares us righteous, not just what justifies us. But after we get saved, whenever we're supposed to grow in holiness, whenever we're supposed to be, go through this process called sanctification, that we bank everything on the gospel there. 
The gospel doesn't just convert us, but the gospel sanctifies us. And so we need to have this strong understanding of the gospel. And I thought, well, Galatians, man, Galatians, that's all it talks about is the gospel. So for 18 weeks or something like that, we went through the book of Galatians. And here's here's the graciousness of God in his word. After we got through Galatians, I mean, we had a strong, strong view in this church and a strong understanding of the gospel. So then we're a church plant, and I'm thinking, all right, we're a church plant. We're very young. We're only 20 weeks old. We don't know a whole lot about what's known as ecclesiology or the doctrine of the church. This comes from the Greek word ekklesia, called out. This is just the word for the church, so ecclesiology. And I thought, well, it'd be great for us to have a better understanding of what the church is and what the church does and what it's supposed to look like and the church government and elders and deacons and all this kind of stuff. All right, well, First Timothy covers those things. So we're going to go over to First Timothy, and we're just going to start at verse 1-1, and we're going to go all the way through. And how many ever weeks that took, we did that. And so at the end, at the, at the close of it, we have a better understanding of ecclesiology. People are saying, I'm thinking I may I want to aspire one day to be an elder or a deacon. Um, I understand those things. So we got through that, and, and that happens afterwards. Now, here's the most amazing thing. Um, after that, I, I, we're looking at the church, and we're thinking, all right, and this is just the process we use. We, after we finish a book or as, at the close of a book, we think, where can the church grow? Where is it that we need to get better at? We're going to go to a book that addresses that, and we're just going to trust God's word to change us. And hopefully, um, what we want to do is alternate back and forth, Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament, so that you don't think that the Old Testament is just some kind of antiquated deal, and all we want to do is study the New Testament. So, Lord willing, after First John, we're going to the Old Testament somewhere. So I'm looking at the church and I'm thinking, you know what, in my own heart, and I think in all of us, we could grow better in community. We could grow better in truly feeling like we need to love one another um, and really care for those who aren't necessarily like us and grow with our affections for our fellow man. And so First John, I mean, that's, that's what it's about. And so we're not even, well, we are finally halfway through, but we're, we're about, I don't know, two-fifths of the way, three-fifths of the way through First John now. And we're already seeing God using his word to connect us more. I mean, this has just been a great season to see hearts growing together, community growing up, and outpourings of love to one another. And so God's word, when you look back, does exactly what it says it's going to do. And this is a core belief of ours. We will sometimes do, you know, two, three weeks topical sermons and things like that about things that need to be addressed. But on the whole... 40 out of 52, 45 out of 52 weeks. The main thing that we're going to be doing here is just preaching through books of the Bible because we believe that in what's called the sufficiency of Scripture, that it's going to do what it says that it's going to do and it's going to lead us into a deeper walk with Christ. It's going to con- correct us. It's going to reprove us. And so um, let me show you, um, let's see here, a couple things that we need to think about as we're approaching the Scriptures. A couple things we need to think about. And you'll, you'll see it there, kind of already both up there. So my hand's given. Here it is, knowledge and response. Um, as we're going through Scripture, these are a couple things that need to happen. First of all is when we study, we're going to become more knowledgeable. In other words, as we're going verse by verse through the Bible, our understanding of the theology of the Bible that's being presented to us verse by verse is going to increase. We're going to understand God's word more the more we go through it. That's by the grace of God. We, we praise him for that. Um, and so what we want to do is 
come here every week with an open heart saying, all right, there's things in your word, Lord, that I probably don't understand, that I don't know. And as I'm going through this book, as I'm going through your word, I want to grow in my understanding of knowledge because I know that knowledge leads somewhere. Knowledge will lead me somewhere. So as I come here every week, I want to grow in my understanding of knowledge. Now, there's a second thing that happens. Whenever I, whenever I was, uh, let's see here, 15 years ago, 1995, um, I was working at a camp called Camp McCall's where I got this silly little nickname, Fudd. Um, and whenever, you, uh, whenever you're a camp counselor, my second year, I was in charge of the canteen. Uh, that was my deal, the, the canteen. And so I had to call the Lance man, and his name wasn't Lance. Actually, it was. But he, he's the one that brings you the crackers and the cookies and the Cokes and all that kind of stuff. It was really interesting. Um, so you had to call them, and you had to make sure you had all the stuff stocked, and we needed honey buns and crackers and Cokes and all that kind of stuff. Well, see, I'm not necessarily the most administrative guy. Um, and so taking a stock of what we're out of and what we're not out of and those kind of things wasn't my strong suit, and I'm not really sure why I got put in charge of the canteen. Um, but there would be sometimes whenever we would go to the canteen, you know, we're looking around and like, all right, where's the cokes? Where's the honey buns? And every week I'd just be, or we'd be walking down there, and I'd just be thinking in my head, oh no, I didn't call Lance. I hope no one notices that we're out of this. I hope no one notices we're out of that. And so it happened, you know, it happened enough where finally the director of the camp, his name's Cliff, had to give me a talk. And so whenever you were in real trouble. And there was a whole other incident, actually, that happened that I had, had to get a talk. Whenever you're in real trouble, um, there's this big, huge, wide-open, refri- I mean, massive open, like you can walk into a refrigerator, you know? And so we called it a cooler talk. And if you got a cooler talk, that means, you know, you're in trouble. There was only like four cooler talks that summer, and I got two of them. Um, and so we opened up the refrigerator, and we go into the refrigerator because no one can hear it. No one can hear, you know, the uh, the wrath of Cliff coming on to you. And so I got a couple of cooler talks. Now... It would have been a massive, massive mistake after the cooler talk when he filled me with the information and knowledge that I needed for me to just say, oh, thank you for telling me and informing me that I need to make sure I do those things. And it would have been if I would have just left and I would have just still not ordered stuff and just left, let it go and not ordered Cokes, not ordered. It would have been a it would have been foolish, foolish for me to have done that because I got the cooler talk like I was spoken to by the director and he explained to me my faults. The same things with the Bible. The guy that wrote it, God himself, as we study his word, is showing you places you need to get better. He's showing you places that you need to improve. He's showing places you need to repent. He's also, because he's gracious, comforting you in the same time. He is the one who has written it and he's showing you places. And it would be foolish as we learn more things of places we need to change, theologies we need to correct, it would be foolish if we would do nothing. It would be foolish. So as we study Scripture, there's two things. Yes, we need to have knowledge, but without a doubt, the second thing is response. It's response. If we truly believe that the God of the universe wrote this to us, the one who created everything and breathed life into our lungs, has spoken to us by His Word letting us know everything that we need to do and how to walk, if he's spoken to us, then our right response is to completely submit to what the Scriptures say. Completely submit to what the Scriptures say. It's one thing to believe something about the Bible, and it's another thing to say, well, this changes everything, and then actually change everything. 
And a lot of times, I'm, I'm sure in my own life, and, and perhaps maybe yours, um, it's not necessarily more knowledge that we need. It's just an obedience to the knowledge we already have. Um, our right response to the things of God should never be a stiff neck, but a bended knee. Our right response to the things of God should never be a stiff neck, but a bended knee. Because here's the, here's the deal. In the end, you know what? Everybody's knee is going to be bent. So we should bend them now and submit to what he's telling us. So we read, we meditate, we study, we hear from the word of God. And here's the thing, though. There's one last thing. To see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. The same camp that I worked at in 1995, a um, long time ago, there was no internet there. Um, there. I'm just kidding. We didn't have a cell phone at the time. Um, there was one phone and 30 counselors, and so we each got to make maybe credit card calls to get 10 minutes to call our girls. And I had, I had a girl at the time, Christy, and I wanted to be able to talk to her on my, on my thing, uh, on, the, on the little phone there. But sometimes I couldn't get her because it was no longer like it is today when we call someone, we call a person. A person calls a person. We pull out our cell phone and a person calls a person. But then, in 1995, this may seem foreign to you teenagers, a place called a place. You know, it was a camp calling her house. And her dad or somebody would answer and, hey, can I talk with Christy? You know, it was that kind of deal back then. And so if she wasn't there and I got my 10 minutes, then I missed her. I couldn't just, she had to be there at that moment. And so we had to think of some other stuff if we wanted to talk. We had, we had to write letters. I mean, that's insane. Like we would actually get out a pen and on paper we would write letters. And so there was mail call at lunch every time. And I would run over to my little box just waiting to see if I could get a letter. And I'd get a letter and I'd take it over there. I wouldn't even eat. I'd just forget lunch and I would just sit there and read the letters from Christy. Um, it would be, again, foolish if I fell in love with the letters if I carried the letters around still in my pocket and whenever she's around me, I'm like, oh, you know what? I love your letters. I just worship your letters. Your letters are so good. The way you write the letter E, oh, it's just great. You know, it would be insane if I fell in love with letters. The, the reason why I love the letters is because they came from someone else and they point me to my affections for her. And it's the same way with the word. We don't, we don't, we don't want to come to this and just fall in love with a book. The book, as John 5, is supposed to tell us to point us to someone else. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. You search the Scriptures thinking that in life you can find, you can find life in these, but they talk about me. So we come here wanting to see Jesus and fall in love with Jesus. We don't want to become worshipers of the Bible. We love the Bible. It's God's Word to us. But this Bible is about Jesus and it's supposed to lead us to Him. It's a means. It's a means. It's not the end. So we want to... Scripture is a, is a core value of ours, but it's because it leads us to Jesus. That's why Jesus is over all the core values. So it leads us to, to Jesus. Um, so practically, which I said, how this works out for us is we're going to preach through books of the Bible. That's what we want to do. That's our core value. And that's, I think, going to fulfill what would be the ministry of believers. Growing up those who are in the faith, in this church, and helping them become mature um, worshipers of Jesus. All right, so the next one is this. Equip for ministry. And I need to move. Equip for ministry slash missional living. Equip for ministry slash missional living. Um, let me read Ephesians chapter 
4, verse 12 to you so you can understand what I'm talking about. Um, and keep that Matthew 9 text in your head. That Matthew 9 text is really key because it wasn't just Jesus doing all the ministry. He's calling people to follow him and they're doing the work of the ministry. So if we transport that up to the 21st century, um, it can be in some of our mindsets that the, the, per, the person that's going to do the ministry is you, Fud. You're the one that gets paid by the church. You're the one that's supposed to do the ministry. And we wanna, what I want us to do is look at verse 12 and let's see what my job is. Let's just look and see what my job is. Um, Look at verse 11, actually. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. I, I, I call myself a pastor, and I, I, um, I'm a teacher here. And look what it says. He gave these people, and look what they're supposed to do, to equip the saints. So my job is to equip you. Now, that doesn't mean that that's all I do. Of course, I do the work of the ministry alongside you. We're shoulder to shoulder trying to take people for Christ and try to build up each other. But it's not just me kind of running out there by myself and you're like, go, go get them, go get them. It's me um, equipping the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So my primary job is to equip you so that we can stand shoulder to shoulder, you and me, and we're all supposed to go out and try to find people and, and tell them about Christ, see them come, come to know Christ, and also disciple each other. So my primary job is to disciple you. So a core value for us is this, equip for ministry, missional living. For me to equip all of us, including myself, for, for missional living, so that we are all on God's mission. We all view every day like a mission trip. You know, when you're, when you're out, of, out of the country, if you've ever gone on one, you just wake up and you're like, I'm on mission trip. You know, no one's speaking my language. No one's, you know, this food is weird. Um, so I'm, I, I'm automatically, I'm on mission trip and I'm just intentional the entire day. We think differently whenever we realize, oh, I'm supposed to be equipped for the work of ministry. So every day is a mission trip. Every day is for me, every person I'm talking to. And if we think about it, honestly, since our citizenship is in heaven, then the food should be different here than it is going to be at our home. The, the speech is going to be different here than it is going to be in our home. This is a mission trip. We are on mission every day. This is a core value of ours. We want you to think every day is about mission. Every day is about mission. All right. So um, there's really kind of two ways here that we can think about this. Um, The, the best two terms I like are this. The best two terms I like are this. They're, they're from a church in Seattle. It's called Mars Hill. And they call these things um, air war and ground war. If you notice here at Remedy Church, we, we really just do two things. We do two things. And we want to just continue to do those two things as well as we can. Sunday morning in community groups. That's what we want. to. If there's anything we're doing. Now, community groups serves. And the, but the two things that we have are... Sunday morning and community groups. And the air war and ground war kind of fit into those two things. Sunday morning is the air war, whenever we have multiple chances to speak to multiple people on a bigger kind of thing. And then we also have community groups, which is the ground wars, whenever you go into the city and you are discipling each other, wanting to reach. Both places, people have a chance to hear the gospel if they don't know Jesus. Both places, they have a chance to do community. They're, they're, but they're different. We, we know that they're very different. Um, and I personally hold to the Sunday morning being for believers. So when we gather here together, we're supposed to worship, we're supposed to hear from God, we're supposed to give, but we also know that unbelievers are present. So we want to, at the same time as I preach, 
equip those who are, who are Christians to grow in the ministry, to, to want to go do ministry, but also we want to see people get saved here, even on Sunday morning. So it's preaching with unbelievers in mind, but for believers. But this is one day and this is one hour per week. There's six other days, and I don't even have the math for the other hours. A lot. hundred and something, right? Um, so there's a greater chance for us to see more salvation in those hours than in one hour. Because there's more people to talk to. There's more hours in that time. And so we want to think both ways. Um, the reason why this is, this is the case is this. Is, is, is this. Um, over the last 50 years, there's been a kind of a predominant theme in churches, and it's worked, and this is why. Over the last 50 years, um, about 50 years ago, there was this thing called modernism, and there was a intrinsic trust of the people in the position of pastor. There was um, a belief in what's known as absolute truth. In modernism, we believed in absolute truth, and we believed in the pastor. So the idea is, hey, my person, my, my friend here, my cousin, my whatever, who doesn't know Christ, I need to invite them to church because they they. They trust the pastor. They believe in absolute truth. And if I invite them, they'll come. The pastor will preach the gospel. They'll get saved. Well, modernism has gone. And we've moved into postmodernism. And now some argue post-postmodernism. And all that means is this. The intrinsic trust in the pastor has is, is waned. And the belief in absolute truth is gone. There is no absolute truth now. And so because of that, we need to change the way that we think. We need to change the way from a, hey, if you don't know Jesus, come here, which we still want to do. We also want to shift and say, we don't want just a come see mentality, come see what's going on, come see and how to get saved, but to equip you, which is more biblical, to go get. So both are going to be working here. It's Yes, we want people to come here. Yes, we want you to invite your non-Christian fans to be a part of this. Yes, we want them to come to know Christ in this. And we're going to preach the gospel every Sunday, not just for unbelievers, but for believers. But we also want all of us, as Ephesians 4 is telling us, to be in the mindset of, okay, I am called to go and minister. I am called to go and share Christ with people. And let me just show you what, what this is going to look like in a text in 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're at verse 16. Give you a chance to flip over there. 2 Corinthians 5 is in the New Testament. It's right after 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> that was a good idea. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. And there's really three things we're going to see here, okay? Three things we're going to see here. Um, and I'm just kind of breaking it out into big um, descriptive terms. But the first thing you're going to see is you and and i'm going to see is me the second thing we're going to see is the job or the task the third thing we're going to see is us or you and me doing the task all right just kind of to give it big descriptive terms um, let's look at this in sixteen seventeen. this is what's happened to you if you're a christian from now on therefore we, re- we regard no one according to the flesh even though we once regarded christ according to the flesh We regard him thus no longer. And here's what's happened to us in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So he's given you a a description. This is who you are now in Jesus. This is you. You were 
not in Christ. You were an old creation. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. But if you put your faith in Jesus and his work on the cross, all of your sin will be forgiven. All the wrong things that you have done and will do, all put on Jesus. He paid the complete price for you and you can be called a new creation. And that is ascertained or that is that is grasped by faith. That happens by faith. You put your faith in Christ and his work on the cross and say, yes, I I trust you as my savior and my Lord. And now my treasure, I want to live my life for you for the rest of my life, showing that this decision I'm making right now to put my faith in you is real. And I want to walk with you for the rest of my life. That's saving faith, justification. And you begin the process of sanctification. And if you don't know Jesus, if you could, if you do that today, you will be in heaven with him forever. That's the promise of God. That's what's happened to us. Now, Paul is going to talk about the task. We have a task. We have a job now. Look what it says in verse 18. All this from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So what he's saying is, all right, you were far from God and you needed to be reconciled to God. And so this happened because Christ came and reconciled your heart. He opened up your affections to Jesus and started drawing you to to God the Father. And it says he's reconciled to you. And he's also given you what's known as the ministry of reconciliation. Now, since you are a Christian, you and I have the opportunity to go see people become new creations by our lips preaching the gospel to them. That's called the ministry of reconciliation. That's the task. That's what we're supposed to do. And look what it says in verse 19. That is, Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So God could have chosen to save people however he wanted. He could have just said, you know, I'm God. And what I want to do is just start throwing, you know, fireballs of of salvation down there. And as soon as the fireball hits them, bang, they're saved. But he can do whatever he wants. He can just lift us all up out of the air and bring us to heaven. I mean, he can do whatever he wants. But the way he's chosen that salvation would happen is this, that you and I as human agents would go and tell people the gospel and that There's something supernatural. The Holy Spirit is coming inside of us, superintending the message. And as we give the message, he comes behind it with power and takes that message and shoves it down into unbelievers' hearts and they get saved. That's not, you know, it's kind of a loose way to say it. But that's the way it's going on. That's the ministry of reconciliation. That's the task. Now, the first thing is what happened to us. The second thing's the task. Now, he's going to talk about us doing the task. And this is where it just gets... I'm serious. I'm not kidding. This is where it gets amazing. The, the words that are used here in these next couple verses should absolutely amaze you that when I preach the gospel to somebody, this is what's happening. Unbelievable. Look what happens here in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, right here, this is, this is unbelievable. If you just think about this, God making his appeal through us. Every time you tell the gospel to somebody, God is making an appeal to their heart through you. God himself is speaking through you to someone. God. God is talking through you to their heart. That blows my mind that that would happen. I mean, I look at myself and I think, 
wow, I am pretty awful. I do a lot of bad things. I, I sin all the time. And because he's made me a new creation, because he's brought me into his own family, he's allowed me, a sinner, to join into this ministry of reconciliation. And when I actually talk, he himself speaks through me to their heart. Look at this. God making his appeal through us. And here's our message. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Why would he say implored? Why would he use such strong language? Because their future is certain outside of Jesus. It's eternal destruction and torture in hell forever. So it's not just some kind of emotionalist. Hey, man, you really should you know, give Jesus a try. It's we implore you. We know what it's like to be outside of Christ. We know what your future holds outside of Christ. And because of that, it devastates my heart to know that you don't know Jesus. Please put your faith in Jesus. Let me tell you about him. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then he just gives us the gospel again. For our sake, he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus in heaven before he became man, enjoying all the glory, all the honor, all the worship forever and ever, decided to step out of that to become a baby and and, and be born in a horse trough and live a life where he didn't own anything. He didn't even have a pillow. He had no bed. He had just clothes on his back. He left that to come down here and live that life and then go to a cross and die for us. I mean, the life he had was n- was just horrible compared to what he had in heaven. He made him for our sake. He was incarnate. He became man in order to go to to the cross because and Jesus never sinned, but he made him to be sin so that in him, so that us, if we're in Jesus right here, we might become the righteousness of God. His perfect life is therefore counted as ours. And our sin is therefore imputed into Him. And we get heaven and forgiveness. And He took all the wrath of the Father for us on our behalf. That's the gospel. That is absolutely amazing. That's our message and that's us imploring one another as Christ's ambassadors. So... To equip you for missional living is absolutely certain to go and tell the gospel. We want to, we want to, as much as we can, um, in the air war, preach the gospel here, and in the ground war, equip you as much as we can. I mean, I want to equip you as much as I possibly can that you'll have the confidence, that you'll have a, a good grasp of the gospel, and that you'll think of every day as mission, and you'll tell people about Christ. And we'll see the kingdom be built in Rock Hill. We'll see people come to know Christ. So that is the second one. Missional living. I'm going to close with this. In a recent poll, this poll indicated that 60% of Christians, 60, 60, 6 out of 10, 60% of Christians feel no obligation whatsoever to share their faith. They don't, they don't feel an obligation. 60%. Um, 
Now, the easy thing for me to do as a pastor is just kind of like take that stat out in my, on a baseball bat and just like try to beat you over the head with it, right? Um, I don't know that that's necessarily descriptive of remedy. I'm just telling you that's what's descriptive of America. And if that's descriptive of you, then you know your own soul. All right, you know your own soul. Um, but I'm not going to take out the baseball bat and beat you over the head with it. Because here's the deal. It starts with pastors. Pastors need to encourage and give you, as much as we can, um, with the way we speak, the desires that come from God, but encourage you to go out there and, and tell people about Christ. So if this is, if this is descriptive of you, my... Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? My pledge, I want to say, to you is to do everything I can to equip you, to encourage you, to make this stat not, not reflective of remedy. Missional living. Missional living is what we want to see happening. And again, that's just one of the five. But that will accomplish the ministry to the lost. That will, we will reach them, we will see them, we will meet their needs. And then as we meet their needs, we'll see them come to know Christ. The last thing that Jesus told us, the very last thing that Jesus told us before he ascended into heaven was, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. It's the last thing he told us. It's called the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. He's commissioning all of us. So it's not, it's not just my job. It is my job, but it's not just my job. It's all of our jobs to be on mission. I'm going to pray and we're going to worship. Um, and after that, we'll have some instruction on, on how things are going to go during announcements and things like that. But as we worship, Cameron, you can come out wherever you are. Um, as we worship, um, what I want you to do here is this. Um, not reflect necessarily so much on this this daunting task ahead of us and not so much reflect on maybe your inadequacies or maybe your lack of being on mission. That's not what I want you to reflect on, okay? If God's speaking to you and the Holy Spirit's speaking to you to that, then certainly you, you can pray on it. But what I want you to reflect on right now is that glorious piece of gospel given to us in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ was made for you to go to the cross so that if you put your faith in him, you can receive forgiveness and you can be called righteous. That is great reason to worship. That is great reason to stand and reflect back to him all the honor, all the glory, all the worship he is due. And I want to ask you to do that. Maybe you need to be seated for a second, pray through some stuff, and then just stand up and worship him because of the great gospel. Whatever it is. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know Christ... I would invite you during these songs, these songs of worship. I'll be right over here on the corner. Feel free to come talk to me. If you don't want to do that during worship, then after the service, please find me. I want to be able to communicate to you um, how you can put your faith in Christ today, how you can become a Christian, how you can start walking in life with Christ and making him your treasure. So this, this is your invitation today, if you don't know Christ, to, to come put your faith in Jesus this morning. I'm going to pray and then Cameron will lead us in a time of of worship through song. <coughs> Lord, you've been so good to us. And whether things are great or whether things are um, sorrowful right now in our lives, the truth is that in Christ, you have come 
and given us the ministry of reconciliation and that you have reconciled us to you for those who are in your family, for those of you who have put their faith in Christ. And that is great, glorious news. And so we want to reflect back now to you the worship and glory that you are due because of how good you've been to us. Lord, I pray for my friends here. If God's convicted them of a need to be more evangelistic or missional or um, intentional about how they put themselves around unbelievers. Lord, I pray that you would just give them direction and that they would have the power of the Holy Spirit giving them wisdom and that they would make the changes that they need to make. We, We don't just need knowledge, but we need response. And so I pray for them in my own life, God, where you show us we need to do that, that we would. I also pray for my friends here who may not know Jesus and need to put their faith in Him and start walking in life with Him. Lord, that You would draw them into Yourself now. That they would see the beauty of the Gospel maybe like they've never seen it before. And they would not put it off. They would not say, I can do this another day. I'm going to wait till five years down the road when I can have my... They would want Jesus this morning. They would say, yes, I, I can't stand it another day without Him. And Lord, that you would give me an opportunity to talk about Jesus with them. Or whoever they came with. We praise your name, Christ, because you are glorious and beautiful and our Savior. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.